Welcome to NostalgiaCast, your weekly roundup of the best and most up-to-date nostalgic news, where we discuss the stories and give our thoughts from a safe distance. I am your host, who was dug out of the ground in Encino and unfroze, Andrew Price. He made a deal with the devil. Played by late 90s Elizabeth Hurley, Tyler Palo, and Dad Beats, a.k.a. Brendan Beats, a.k.a. Kirk Pinchon. I don't yeah. know. I couldn't think Who? of it. I couldn't think uh, of it. A.k.a. Monkey Bone. That's, well, that's, <laughs> it's, that's literally the one that I thought of, and I was like, that doesn't make any sense, and I didn't do it. It yeah, sounds good though. Yes. I, Monkey Bone sounds like a good DJ name. Right? Yeah. Dad beats with DJ Monkey Bone. Oh, Come, coming straight at you. Yeah, that's a Las Vegas. Yeah, man. Immediately. Oh, yeah. I'm playing the Mirage, man. Love me some Brendan Fraser. Yeah. Yeah, really. We are absolutely. We, we already had this conversation. We talked about this a couple episodes ago. I know. I was, I was talking about watching Black from the Past. You shit talked Brendan Fraser. Me and Tyler defended him to the death. Like we've Fervently. been there, done that. Yeah. All right. Um, how you guys going? How you guys doing? What's going on? Living the dream. Yep. Tyler is is yeah. is, is, is your girlfriend either building a table or like? Like, it's a, it's a tiny coffin, but <laughs> I oh, it's a t- didn't want to say anything. <laughs> it's a tiny, <laughs> it's a tiny coffin. A tiny coffin? Yeah. Wait, we've are you decided, serious? We've just decided to bury our money since we're wasting it anyway. So, oh, gonna, I thought, I thought yeah. that was way darker than it. Yeah, ended I know. Up being. No, it's a, it's a shoe rack. We're gonna, we're building a shoe rack. <laughs> nice. Oh no! She, right now, she's the best part of this podcast. I agree. Well, let's just watch her build that coffin. <laughs> hey, wait, and just not say anything, and just watch for hours the entire time. Speaking of speaking a coffin, if any if any eagle eared eagle eared fox eared eagles don't have good hearing, do they? I don't know. I don't think so. If any fox eared, uh. Listeners out there have been thinking that for the past three months, for all of this quarantine, that I've just been coughing up a storm on this show and thinking, like, does he have the Rona? You got it. Uh, I just want to reassure you that I've been having a particularly <clears throat> bad case of seasonal allergies. And uh, I actually finally got over it. But now it's back because um, we have. Uh, let's see. I don't want to mess up my. I don't know if you can see that. We have uh, kitty fostered fostered some some kittens, mm. and uh, they're they're uh, they're. I love them, but they're they're doing a number on my allergies. Did you know you're allergic to cats? Uh, yeah, I've, I've always been allergic to cats, but it's not bad enough. It's well, I don't know. I'm fine with having cats. Like I live, I live with a. I'm. We had cats all the time when I was growing up, 
and I live most recently I lived with a cat for a year because my I lived with my friend Brandon and uh, his sister and his sister had a cat um, and yeah it definitely does trigger my allergies but I've always just been fine with it like I've, I've always been willing to bear it to like I, I've never that cat has to get out of here um, but yeah that's what I'm doing fostering some cats their names are Scrabby and Girl Werewolf. Although my son has, I refuse to acknowledge. I I am a I am a Girl Werewolf truther. Um, right. My son has changed her name like three times, but I refuse to acknowledge the new names. And uh, they will always be Scrabby and Girl Werewolf to me, despite the fact that uh, I think at this point their names are Monster and Velma. I mean, those are better names. No. Yeah. Did he watch the Scoob? Yeah. Yeah. Don't be mad at your son because he has better name selection. He's than the you. one that named them in the first place. <laughs> Wait, he named them and then changed yes, them? Yes, that's what I'm saying. He, he oh, named them, he named yeah. them Scrabby and Girl Werewolf, he, and then he's changed the names multiple times. And they're cats. They live he, in a different time zone. So, like. He's improving he's, on them. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't. He's I don't, improving I don't on agree. Them. I don't agree. Um. So uh, before we get into the stories, I want to talk about a couple things. Um, first one, uh, Tyler, you aren't here for this, but Kirk. Yeah. I called it. You did. I called it. You're so happy. I, I got so amped because, because <laughs> we talked. I mean, by the time this episode, by the time last week's episode came out, this information had already come out. But when we recorded this episode, this information had not come out. I called it. Last <laughs> week, we talked about this story about how the cut of Back to the Future 2 on Netflix had been censored. And Tyler, to catch you up, they the they put Back to the Future Part 2 on Netflix. And fans were uh, quick to notice that during the scene whenever Marty McFly the second version of Marty McFly breaks into Principal Strickland's office to try to get back the sports almanac that Biff had taken from, or Biff had had that was confiscated by um, Principal Strickland. He gets it. He thinks like, oh, I finally have it. And then he opens it up and discovers that it's like some weird, like, like pinup magazine called Ooh La La. And he goes Uh like, Ooh La La. Ooh la la! What's the deal with ooh la la? Um, it turns into Seinfeld, yeah. like we said. <laughs> um, <laughs> they cut they cut out the part where it shows the cover of it, and they cut out him saying ooh la la over and over again. But they still show him <laughs> flipping through the pages, like they show him flipping through the pages. But they cut out the shot of the cover. Ooh la la! And people were freaking out and saying that they were censoring it. People are dumb. Um, and how do you say it? What do you say? Say it. Say it again. Okay. <laughs> uh, I wanted him. To, I wanted him to say it again so the, the podcast could hear him. I heard him. <laughs> um. But uh, I, my, based on all the information, the fact that they cut out the cover but didn't cut out the pages, which were just the same, um, the cover was in color 
pages are in black and white. Um, I pointed out that in the world of like the MPAA and FCC and the guidelines for allowing things to be shown in theaters or shown in uh, on TV or, or, or distributed on DVD and things like that, there are like weird little rules and stipulations to get certain ratings and certain approvals. And um, one of them is that like when things are in black and white, like whenever violence or like risque content is in black and white, it's like viewed as like more favorable than if it was in full color and that you can kind of like skirt around rules by like putting things in black and white sometimes. So based on that information, I speculated that this was not censorship on the part of Netflix. It was a case of them using accidentally using the wrong cut of the movie and that it was some cut that was produced um, to like be played on TV or something where like they had to do, make these little tiny tweaks in order for it to be approved. That was my speculation. So now mm -hmm. we know that this is indeed correct. This was not a censorship. This was a case of Universal sending Netflix the wrong cut of the movie on accident. And wow. they mistakenly sent them a cut of the movie that was meant for foreign DVD distribution in certain countries where for whatever reason, they didn't like the <laughs> what is going on uh, they, with that? They didn't. <laughs> I didn't. Sorry, I'm so sorry. I didn't think it would. Act. <laughs> um, I mean, it's a great movie, but it is. I'm so sorry. They guys. didn't. They, they, they this this was a cut of the movie that was meant for foreign distribution on DVD in certain countries where they didn't like the um, the cover of the of the of the magazine um and so uh this was pointed out by the back to the future co-writer bob gale uh who we talked about on the podcast before um and he said that uh yeah this was the wrong cut this was a cut um that was made at some point years ago for a dvd release in foreign countries um he said for some country that had a problem with the ooh la magazine cover um, and then uh, Universal mistakenly sent over this copy and or print and they've since replaced it with the right version um, and uh, Gail went as far as to say that they should destroy that version because there's no reason to have it anymore <laughs> I, I agree why have yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely no need. Um, so I, Just in case we go back to like a um, Handmaid's Tale like shit like that actually happens. They got all the censored stuff, so we can still watch them. Yeah. So I yeah. I told you I knew it. You're so happy. I am. Yeah. Um. Your happiness makes me happy. So let's talk about this real quick. Uh, this is Nina. Cut it out. This is um. What is happening? Ephraim, stop. Jaden, it's like a <laughs> cacophony of sounds going on here. I mean, you don't have to leave, but just why, stop crinkling a bag, Ephraim. <clears throat> um, so this is 
this is nostalgic by way of the people involved with it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm qualifying this as nostalgic because it involves uh, John Krasinski, who we all know is Jim Halpert from The mm -hmm. Office, uh, and also the show frequently featured a lot of nostalgic type content and throwback mm -hmm. content. Uh, so I, but I really wanted to talk about this because I, I started reading about this story developing and it just like immediately ground my gears and Ooh, good phrase, uh, good phrase. Yeah, and I, and I wanted to ask you guys about how you felt about this because to like, it is a very subjective thing. I have a very specific opinion on it, but I also, I also understand that it's not cut and dry. It's not a blatantly like this is objectively true thing. And I, you know, I'm open to hearing other perspectives. So, um, as you may or may not know, uh, since the quarantine uh, happened in the last couple months or so, uh, John Krasinski launched a YouTube show called um, "Some Good News" that he that he produces in his office and his home in his home office, and it's basically a talk show where he shoots the whole thing in his house, feels very homemade. The logo for the show and the intro is like this globe that he has where you just like taped a paper sign on it that says some good news. And the opening shot is him holding the globe up and like spinning it with his hand. And he shoots it on like clearly like a very low quality like camera. And he does interviews via Zoom. And the whole thing just feels like this very homemade thing. And the concept of the show is during this time of, of like struggle uh and and uncertainty uh here's some positive uplifting things that are happening here's some good news and um the show so the show uh created a he created a youtube show blah blah, blah blah aimed at providing uplifting positive stories in a talk show format during the time of crisis um and also something for krasinski to do during quarantine when he can't work um the show has eight episodes including episodes where he interviewed Steve Carell about Office Memories, uh, an episode where he got the entire cast, the entire original Broadway cast of Hamilton perf to perform for a little girl who uh, couldn't go to a show that she had tickets for because of the shutdown. Um, he had an episode where there was a virtual prom for students stuck at home that featured Billie Eilish and the Jonas Brothers. Um, there was an episode that was a virtual potluck uh, with uh, dishes created by Martha Stewart, Guy Fieri, and other famous cook slash food personalities um and he's not a cook food person i said another food personality um no he is he is and uh an episode where they reunited the entire cast of the office um so they did eight episodes of the show and recently it was announced that krasinski has sold the show um following the end of its eight episode run a bidding war for the viral hit ended with uh, some good news finding a new home at viacom cbs mostly without Krasinski, who would not return to host, but instead pop up sporadically. Um, and so, yeah, so he, he sold the show uh, to CBS as a real TV show that's going to be produced and developed for either, the, either CBS or maybe a streaming platform that they are developing. I don't know. I, it, doesn't, I don't, I don't, it doesn't say anything like that. But, um, uh, and, and it's basically, it's similar to... Some of these, you know, more recent things like how um, the lip sync battle on The Tonight Show mm -hmm. spun off into its own show and Jimmy Fallon is not involved with it. It's hosted by 
um, you know, uh, blanking on his name for some reason, uh, LO Cool J. Um, and, <laughs> yeah. and then, and then the carpool karaoke show on, uh, the late show with James Corden late, yeah. is that the late show, um, that spun off into its own TV show show that is not without his involvement. So this show is going to be developed and it's not going to be, uh, Krasinski's not going to be involved. It's going to have a new host. He's going to produce and sometimes he's going to appear on it. Uh, yes, Kirk is going to be the new host of Some Good, yep. Some Good News. We just broke it. Oh, yeah, yeah. I would fucking love that. Breaking news. Breaking news. Um, so, in the wake of this announcement, fans are... There's a backlash from fans. Of course. Uh, following the... Uh, so, um, uh, plenty of fans were quick to call out Krasinski for cashing in on an uplifting show that consisted mostly of crowdsourced videos by regular people with fans saying things like, um, and these are tweets. So he made eight YouTube videos comprised largely of unpaid contributions from fans, sold the brand to a major conglomerate and isn't even gonna make it anymore? Just cashed out? Does this rub anyone else the wrong way? You are profiting off, off of some good news? I bought you hook, hook, line and sinker. Believed you were just trying to bring goodness to light. Going from YouTube free to a pay service, so disappointed. Sell out. I can't believe you sold it. It's not about the good news. It's about the profit. This will lose the heart of uh, this will lose the heart of some good news and become just another corporate money making watered down version of what it once was. Um, so, in response to this backlash, Krasinski recently defended this decision while talking on fellow Office castmates Ray, uh, Rain Wilson's podcast. Uh, he said, it was one of those things where I was only planning on doing eight of them during quarantine because I have these other things that I'm going to be having to do very soon, like Jack Ryan and all this other stuff. Um, more than that, the writing, directing and producing all, all those things with a couple of my friends was so much. I knew it wouldn't be sustainable with my pr prior commitments. Uh, in eight weeks, it went from not existing to now being on one of these huge news networks is one of the greatest honors that I've ever been able to pull off. Um... Uh, Krasinski continued giving all the credit to those who contributed to the show and watched it every week. We have a lot of really fun stuff planned and I can't wait to dig in. I'm going to be a part of it whenever I can and I'm going to host a couple and bring on a different community of people. So, whenever I saw this, I, I, I was kind of baffled by it. And, you know, I, I saw this before Krasinski finally, like, addressed it and defended or, or responded to the backlash or whatever. Uh... And, you know, in my opinion, like, he has nothing to... Oh, I'm just lifting my arms up and show, showing my... Showing my sweaty pits. Um, <laughs> uh, he has nothing to defend or apologize for. The fact that people are... Absolutely. The, the fact that people are, like, criticizing this is just insane to me. Like, can you imagine making something and then making money from it and people being mad about that it's like nuts how dare they how dare they like he he created yeah, like he created this thing that people love i mean it it, it 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 in the last couple months since it came out it has 3 million subscribers. That kind of subscriber growth on YouTube is is very out of the ordinary. 
like and it makes sense because he's a huge celebrity but usually you yeah. know you don't start a youtube channel and get three million subscribers in two months like that's like a long period like i i i created a a, a youtube channel um called weird history and it took like three years to get three to get two million subscribers and all of that came like later on like there was like two years where it had like two thousand subscribers and it was really in the last like eight to ten months of that three years where this where it caught on and then started growing mm. um you don't get three million subscribers in two months unless you know unless you're like a jack black or a, yeah a dwayne johnson or whatever um people love this show the videos have millions and millions of views um they pulled off some crazy stunts for these episodes he made this thing that people like, and now they're mad that he's going to profit from it. Like, that is so bizarre to me. Yeah. It, and it, it's just like, so what if, like, how does him selling it and making money from it, like, invalidate the concept of the show or somehow make it less about spreading positivity? Yeah. Uh, uh. It, it, and it, it reminds me, I mean, it, it just reminds me that, like, the people people love you until they hate you like the public it's funny because i was just i was just listening to i'm listening to um the plot thickens which is a podcast about peter bogdanovich um uh who is uh who is a legendary director he made the last picture show and what's up doc uh, amongst many others um but uh and he and they were talking about on the podcast about how like he he made uh he he was kind of like a wonder a wonderkind that you know at a, at a very young age he made three hit movies in a row um and uh he was like the talk of the town and everybody loved him and then he started a relationship with Sybil Shepherd who was the you know one of the the actresses in one of his movies the last picture show and then uh immediately after um the paper moon which was the third he, he the third movie that was very successful that he made um he made another movie and it was a bomb and then he made another movie and it was a bomb and the whole world like turned against him and then it became like hit pieces in tabloids like criticizing him and Sybil Shepherd and unflattering pictures of them and people just hating them and it, and it was all because like Everybody loved him, and then once they were, he wasn't providing any value to them anymore, then they hated him. And it, it, it kind of reminds me of that, where, like, this was such a big thing, and everybody loved it, and it was like, oh, some good news, I love it, he's getting Hamilton to sing to this little girl, and he got the cast of The Office together, and this is so great. And the moment anyone finds, like, oh, like, this isn't just some thing he's doing for our benefit and our benefit alone and it's not just like some thing he's doing out of the kind of his, of his heart well screw that guy he sucks mm -hmm. um and to me i mean from my perspective like i'm not like a huge fan of capitalism but like i am a huge fan of people making things and then getting properly compensated for them that's what i was that's what i was thinking about these people like probably think they're anti-capitalist or whatever but really they're just anti-prosperity because the thing was ended he was done with it yeah and he saw an opportunity to not only give people another life with some good news but also 
find a way to make it uh, beneficial to himself. That's not capitalism. That's just uh, being prosperous. Like you know what you're doing there. Yeah. So a couple a couple points about this. Um, a couple extra points about this. Um, Wait, because Kelby's not here. Get that bag. Yeah, this was yeah, get this, that bag. this was like the most like Kelby needed to be here to talk about this story <laughs> we've ever done, and it's it, yeah, it's, it's like. It's so ironic that he missed this. is This is as ironic that he missed this as the fact that Kirk missed the show where I talked about um, them doing a live stream of uh, Prince's uh, 1986 Purple Rain uh, concert. <laughs> yeah. Um, so um, the, a couple things about this, a couple extra things. Um, the show seems like it's this labor of love thing that he created out of boredom or an inability to work. But in reality, uh, it's a show concept that he's been pitching with his producing partner for a couple of years. And he decided to just pull the trigger and do it from home during the quarantine. Uh, the show isn't even actually homemade as it appears. Uh, Krasinski shoots it at home, but then a production company actually edits the show and purposely gives it that homemade feel. And that's been happening since episode one. And I actually, uh, I read an article about this before the sale announcement even happened. Um, it was on some random like editing blog I follow or something like that, uh, where it was an article about the what goes into making some good news. And I read this article and I learned from that article that some good news is not a thing that he just makes in his house. It's it's a it's a production that is um, that a production company actually works on, like a team of people work on making some good news. And I have to actually admit that that information I was kind of disappointed by to right, to, that to learn that it wasn't actually this like thing that he makes by himself. That information I was disappointing to me to find out mm -hmm. that it was just a product that a production company makes. Like from a conceptual standpoint, I was like, oh, like I th I thought it was so much cooler when it was just this thing that he like out of boredom made. Yeah, he um, he literally thought of it. You you think he thought of it during quarantine and was like, oh fuck it, I'll just do this just because yeah. I'm bored, as opposed to I've been <laughs> pitching this for a couple of years. And now I'll just do it because I have nothing else to do. Yeah. And so, but, but on top of that, to then learn that he sold it, I, I just, it, it baffles me that people are upset about this and that people are like, you're doing it for the profit, not the, not the goodness of like, it's like, what are you like? Okay. Go like, where do you work? Home Depot? Like, <laughs> again what? again like, do, do you, throwing like, darts you should do you, you should you should go and work at home depot out of the kindness of your heart like just you know don't do it don't do it for the profit do it for you know giving back to your community providing the service of helping people find their home uh improvement needs and yeah, exactly and obviously the the thing that people will say was the difference between those two situations is that one of them is a is a struggling you know, lower middle class person uh, that needs to work f to live paycheck to paycheck, whereas John, John Krasinski is like a ridiculously rich person. And that's valid, but it still doesn't like it just it still doesn't invalidate his ability to get paid for things that he makes like that. Just that makes no sense. Yeah. Also, who 
like someone else would be like, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm going to do this for free. Mm-hmm. Who, who, no one in their right mind, no matter what kind of money they have in their bank, would be like, oh, CVS wants me to do this. Nah, nah. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, this is for me and for, for my people. I'm going to yeah. do it on my own. No one would do that. People just love to bitch <laughs> about shit. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, uh, you know, if somebody did want to do that, fine. Like, you know, like famously there, you know, Steve Albini, he's like, he's this uh, music producer who uh, basically he produced like all of the big uh, grunge rock albums mm-hmm. of the 90s. Like he, he produced like a bunch of, uh, you know, um, like Nirvana albums and uh, Pearl Jam albums and Stone Temple Pilots album. Like he was the like grunge producer. And famously, he uh, he's he believes that in- music engineers and producers are basically um, he, he compares them to like mechanics like they're they're basically blue collar workers who are technicians. So he doesn't believe that producers should take royalty cuts on albums. So wow. so he did not take any royalties on any of those albums he ever produced. And if he had taken them, he would be like literally a billionaire. But instead, he's just kind of a normal dude. He doesn't really have a lot of money. He has a band called Big Black that's kind of like this slightly obscure cult um, rock band. And uh, yeah, he I mean, he has his own studio in Detroit, I think. Um, and he's just kind of like a normal dude. Like he just like, you know, he probably has some money. Uh, but but famously, he just said like, yeah, I don't I don't believe that we should take royalties for producing. Um, and if, if you want to do something like that, that's fine. That is up to you. But it is also up to you to say, screw that. Give me the cut. Yeah, I need my cut. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I just th- that whole story just it reminds it's it's the crabs in a bucket scenario. You guys familiar with that? Mm-hmm. The the yeah. the crabs in the bucket scenario is if you the whenever they whenever crabsmen or whatever they're called <laughs> crabsmen uh, sure we'll allow yeah, whenever they that's what I like. whenever they catch crabs. They they <laughs> they have a really good night. It's impossible yeah. to talk about this in, in a in a straightforward way. Whenever they yeah. whenever they catch them, when they catch the the mollusks, crustaceans. oh crustaceans, <laughs> not uh, whatever. Uh, they they just stick them all in a bucket, and they don't even cover the bucket because they don't need to. Because basically, if you have a bunch of crabs in a bucket, they can't get out. Because the moment any one crab tries to climb out of the side, the other crabs pull them back in because they're all just flailing and they're all just reaching out and it's just total chaos. And once one crab starts to be able to pull himself out, the other crabs will inevitably just in their thrashing, pull him back in. So if you stick crabs in a bucket, they none of them will ever be able to escape because the crabs will always pull each other back into the bucket. And so, you know, that's that's used as a metaphor um, a lot of the times whenever like one person in a in a group of people, in a community of people starts to become successful and starts to like do more with their lives. The other people will try to pull them back in because 
they rather than taking responsibility for their own lives and you know turning their turning their themselves around and trying to do better and trying to become more successful they'd rather keep successful people at their level so that they don't feel bad about themselves so if somebody becomes successful the way that you you know handle that is you start you say like oh they sold out like that's not so right. that's just he, he's a douchebag now like like screw that guy tyler and i know a person like this that mm. if you if you know in a, in a small community of theater people and filmmakers in a town that we lived in uh there was kind of like the guy who was like the self-imposed king of it he was like the leader of this de facto group of like creatives and artists <clears throat> and if you ever like moved out of this town and you know i'm gonna go move into la and actually pursue a real career you became like an enemy and you were like oh he sold out like he's just he doesn't care about the community he just he just wants to go and like you know be selfish and you know live in this fake place where everybody is just are just terrible like that that's the crabs in the bucket scenario and that's that's yeah that, it, to me that's what's happening here it's like yeah. Yeah. people wanted like this whenever they felt like it was made for them and the moment that it was like, oh, like this is going to be like a bigger thing that isn't just this little thing that's only mine and that nobody is benefiting financially from. Like, oh, then you suck. Yeah. Um, People love to get riled. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so getting into the stories now. Um, <coughs> we talked about the Snyder Cut last episode. You know my thoughts on it. How dumb I think it is. You think the Snyder Cut's dumb? I'm sorry that I wasn't here. I feel real bad that because it sounds like a good story. Yeah. Why do you quick recap on why you think it's dumb? Quick There's no such thing as a quick recap on this show. <laughs> quick recap, as quick as I can possibly. Just say recap. Manage. Just say recap. <laughs> Just say recap. No false optimism. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. For years, fans have been petitioning for the Zack Snyder cut of the Justice League to come out because famously he left the production because his daughter died. And he was replaced with Joss Whedon, who rewrote a lot of the script and reshot a lot of things. And the version that came out was much more kind of comedic and not as dark as what like Zack Snyder's typical style is. And it didn't do well financially at the box office. And since then, people have been like, release the Snyder Cut. The Snyder Cut's going to be way better. It's finally happening. They are going to recut the movie and spend $20 million redoing parts and release the Snyder Cut on HBO Max. It's a big thing for HBO Max to be like, we're going to have the Snyder Cut. Um, it's, I think, it's like an eight-part series, right? Yeah, they're probably, probably going to cut it up into like a multi-part series. Uh, we talked about it on the last episode. I think it's dumb because Zack Snyder sucks and this version is going to also suck. And I don't know what, how how we got into this weird timeline where people are thinking that like Zack Snyder is the folk hero that's gonna save us save the DC universe from being terrible. When in reality, Zack Snyder is just a hack filmmaker, and none of the DC movies he's ever made have ever been good. So why would we expect this one to be good? <clears throat> I also think that besides that, which is obviously my own opinion, that's my opinion, and it's obviously subjective. But the objective thing is that the release of Snyder cut community are bullies and they're harassers and they're a toxic fandom of people who have sent death threats to innocent people for no reason and hbo slash warner brothers are essentially assuaging and validating online bullies 
and giving them what they want. And I think that it's a really bad move. It's a really bad precedent. And I talked about this on the last episode and I have since been proven right because now since we did that episode, release the ire cut of Suicide Squad is trending. Release the... Uh, there's been a... I, I'm blanking on the other ones, but there, there's been several like this release this cut release the jj cut of rise of skywalker it, it, it's it's opening gotcha. up it's opening up a horrible can of worms um okay. but in slightly more innocuous news <coughs> now that this is happening now that they're pr- putting out the quote unquote perfect version of justice league which is going to suck um Henry Cavill is now in talks to return to the DCEU as Superman. Um, Henry Cavill might return as Superman in the DC Extended Universe again, but not in Man of Steel 2. Cavill helped launch Warner Brothers and DC Shared Universe in 2013 with the release of Man of Steel and reprised the role in Batman vs. Superman, Donna Justice, and Justice League. After mixed reactions to all three films, all three films, none of the movies that Zack Snyder has ever made have ever been... Has ever been good or accepted as good films um uh there has been not been much movement on man of steel 2 without a sequel on the horizon the future of cavill in the superman suit uh, suit becoming a looming question over the dceu for a time in 2018 it appeared all but certain that cavill would no longer be the last son of krypton on the big screen it was reported that contract negotiations between his team and the studio hit an impasse over the final film left on the on his deal uh, WB and DC wanted Cavill to cameo in Shazam and not have it count towards his deal, while Cavill and his team wanted to cameo to count so he could renegotiate a new deal with a bigger salary. Cavill insisted that Superman's red cape was still in his closet and it appears he would st- wear it again in future movies. According to new reports from Deadline, Cavill is in talks to reprise his role as Superman in the DCEU. What project or projects Cavill would appear in is still unknown, but the outlet assures that it will not be for Man of Steel 2, as well as Wonder Woman 1984, The Suicide Squad, or The Batman. See this? Those are... What? (laughs) Kirk! Why am I only seeing Andrew? I can't get anybody else. Because my fingers are so enraged. Yeah, they're sensitive. Kirk's fingers. I don't get. Look, it's DC. I don't really care. Um, Right. But I'm confused at. So if Henry Cavill Cavill comes back as Superman, (laughs) but not for these other specific Superman movies. So then there's two Supermans and everyone's like, okay. Is that what happens? There's like four Batmans. Yeah, the the DC. Yeah, but not cannot. But there's there's a bunch of different Batmans, but not in the same time frames. Right. So someone will be a Batman, and then someone will step aside and be, and then there'll be a new Batman. Here it's like, okay, we're gonna have a a, a Superman here, and then a different Superman here a couple months from now. And well, then I mean, they've already done that. That's that's already been happening with 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 Batman and like. Ben Affleck was the Batman, was Batman. Yeah. And like he was in two movies and then like a couple months after Justice League came out, he announced he was leaving and then they recast it with Robert Pattinson. And then like they had Jared Leto as Joker in the Suicide Squad and his Joker was like a very specific, very unique type of Joker. And he never technically stepped down as Joker. Like there was never like, oh, he's no longer Joker. 
He just that movie came out and he was just Joker in it. And then they just made a different Joker movie with Joaquin Phoenix that is wildly stylistic in every way, shape and form to the Jared Leto Joker. So there's like two Jokers that are and they're and they're now they're apparently going to do the release. The I mean, they're doing the they're 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 possibly going to release the ire cut of Suicide Squad. So they're going to have a movie coming out with the Jared Leto Joker. And then also James Gunn is making a reboot of Suicide Squad that like has most of the same cast from the other Suicide Squad movie. So it's not a total recast reboot. It's a reboot (coughs) where they're basically (coughs) disregarding the first Suicide Squad. But the entire actual original cast is returning except for Will Smith as Deadshot. And as far as we know... Jared Leto as Joker is not in the Suicide Squad, but it's the same universe as the first Suicide Squad where Jared Leto was the Joker. So and then they're making Joker 2 with Joaquin Phoenix. So we're going to have we're having like this Joker movie franchise with one Joker and then simultaneously a different franchise with a different Joker. And then now they're talking about the idea that like Ben Affleck might want to come back as Batman so then there will be like the Ben Affleck Batman simultaneously with the Robert Pattinson Batman. It's it's all that's all of that is dumb. It's insane. It's all dumb. They, to, they just have to play into the the multi universe kind of thing though. They just have to clearly uh, spell out some way for the audience that this is the Pattinson universe and make it feel like a different DC universe than the. Uh, Suicide Squad universe, which is going to have maybe Ben Affleck and uh, a new Joker instead of Joaquin Phoenix's Joker, which is a different universe all itself. But I think they're just like, they don't care about explaining the universes that much because they're going to start doing that with um, with Marvel. They're going into Multiverse of Madness. Yeah. And I assume they're going to start putting, like how they do um, uh, country headers or whatever they're called, location tags. They're going to put location tags for universes yeah. now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Marvel just does it better. Uh, who did the original um, Suicide Squad? David Iyer. Oh, that's why I said. Re- then why are why are they worried about releasing the Iyer cut? Then because they who, the, who? because the the idea is that the movie that came out was like a movie that was like heavily re edited and uh, by the studio and had a lot of studio meddling. Gotcha. But also like. What a big fuck you to Iyer then twice over because they cut his movie up and then they were like, hey, James, can you just make the same movie but better? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, release the pinch on cut of Time Lock. Yeah, that's what I that's that's what I bully people on the Internet for. Here's the thing. Anybody who anybody who was involved in the 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 butchered studio cut of time lock like i send them death threats on the studio daily. all oh. unnecessary uh zack Snyder sucks and speaking of unnecessary andrew this next story sure is because this angers me too does it i don't get it so, so read it i seriously don't get it the wwe is possibly looking to bring back the wcw In recent years, nostalgia for the now-extinct WCW World Championship Wrestling has increased. As modern fans will see the Monday Night Wars of the 1990s as the peak... Still see the Monday Night Wars of the 1990s as the peak of pro wrestling. 
Um, once WWE won the war and bought WCW, it appeared that WCW was going to be swept under the carpet by WWE in the hope that new fans wouldn't even know it existed. However, some recent trademark filings by WWE suggest we could be seeing the return of the WCW in some form, even if it's just <laughs> merchandise. Uh, yeah. Those eyebrows, though. Yeah, man. It was the mid-90s. Nice. Um... Uh, PW Insider notes that WWE has filed trademarks on the initials WCW for business ventures like cardboard packaging, collector albums for sticker collectibles, and temporary tattoo transfers. Um, there have been glimpses in the past few years that WWE is slowly bringing back aspects of the WCW, WCW with events such as Starcade taking place. Uh, we've also seen the return of War Games on NXT, a former staple of Eric Bischoff's old promotion. So, yeah, so, you know, just as a quick refresher for people that aren't super, uh, like, in the know about it. So, in the 90s, uh, in the 80s and 90s, um, there was the the war of the two biggest wrestling uh, companies. There was uh, the WWF, the World Wrestling Federation, and the WW, or the WCW, the World, Champion, World Championship Wrestling. And uh, eventually WCW fell on kind of like financial hard times. And I'm not a super wrestling aficionado or historian, so I might be getting some of these details wrong. And I have some friends who are just like obsessive wrestling fans. But I think what happened was that basically Vince McMahon just made a lot of the right deals to get like syndication on channels. So like I think maybe like the they 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 started getting wrestling syndicated on like big like cable stations like tnt and i forget exactly but at, at any rate they made these really good really key deals to get syndication deals on big channels that continued the success of wwf while wcw just kind of like didn't get those deals and so therefore just financially floundered wwf ended up buying wcw um and then eventually you know several years ago um due to a Due to a, law, a copyright lawsuit with uh, the uh, World Wildlife Foundation, uh, WWF, WWF lost the rights to use the, the 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 name WWF, and they had to change their name to WWE, World Wrestling Entertainment. Um, so now it looks like WWE might capitalize off of some of the nostalgia of this property that they own now. Uh, and bring back. I mean, it se- it sounds to me like maybe they'll just start selling like WCW toys. Um, I mean, maybe they would they would bring it back as a thing, but it doesn't seem like that's the case right now. It seems like more that they might just release some merchandise. Yeah, that's what how, how you you're not bringing back the WCW because all those wrestlers don't wrestle anymore. You're just bringing in wrestlers going. This is the WCW, but. It's still the WWE because it's still wrestling, right? Yeah. There's no difference. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just more like the the logo, the the character, the the, act, the the wrestlers who were around at that time, like coming out with merchandising, capitalizing off of the nostalgia of that stuff. Um, and I have to say, I think I'm on the wrong side of history here because I think everyone kind of pretty much universally agrees that WWF was the better wrestling company. But I was always a WCW yeah. kid when I was when I was young. I, I was I was all about I was all about Hulk Hogan, Hollywood Hulk Hogan, and Goldberg, and all those guys. That's how I it was. Yeah. Um, like whenever whenever they uh, they split up or whatever, um, the Hardy 
Boys or the Hardy Bros? It's the Hardy Boys. The Hardy Boys went to WCW or whatever. And I was like, that's where I want to be. Because they did the Swanton Bomb. And that was my favorite move. <laughs> I just like Goldberg because he was a, a buff Jewish guy. Just kicking. That's, that's, he was <laughs> huge. Buff Jewish he was great. wrestler. Um, Representation, boys. But yeah, I mean... If you're if you're if you're a, if you're a fan of WCW, maybe maybe you might be excited to something to come out with a Goldberg m- mug. Yeah, maybe they mean they're just gonna bring back the same characters in young form. Like they'll just treat it like a reboot. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, it's at least kind of exciting that they're not just letting that die completely, and they're trying to do something something with it. Um, <clears throat> so. Disney World has officially set a reopen date. Disney World in Orlando, Florida will reopen its gates, ending a multi-month closure of the park that left the Walt Disney Company reeling. The Disney theme park, which employs some 70,000 people, plans to begin a phased reopening on July 11th for its Magic Kingdom and Animal Kingdom parks and July 15th for Epcot and Hollywood Studios. Uh, Walt Disney World, as well as Disney's Disneyland Resort in Anaheim, California, closed in mid-March because of the coronavirus pandemic. Disney is implementing several measures to reopen safely and prevent the spread of the coronavirus at its parks. Employees and guests will be required to wear face coverings and undergo temperature screenings before entering the parks. Disney will reduce, reduce capacity at the parks and the resort will temporarily suspend parades, fireworks, and other events that create crowds. The, re- the resort will also enable cashless transactions by expanding contactless payments. Disney will also increase the number of available hand sanitizing stations. The plan was approved Wednesday morning by the Orange County government. It still needs approval from the Orange County's mayor and, Flo- and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. All of Disney's 12 parks in North America, Asia, and Europe closed because of the outbreak at different points of the year. Shanghai Disneyland, the company's largest international park, reopened its gates on May 11th after being closed since January 24th. Um, yeah, so if you want to, if you want to, uh, if you got a hankering for going to a theme park and you want to be subjected to the just overly complicated rules that you're going to have to subject yourself to uh, in order to enjoy a lesser enjoyable version of going to a theme park, then uh, they're opening July 11th. Uh, fuck them. They're worth $130 million. It would only cost $59 million to pay them all salary without having them work just at all the Disneyland locations, not just, not just, uh, Disney World. So all Disney locations, uh, just the theme parks, 59 million to pay them all salary or all what they're worth. So they can go fuck themselves if they're saying it's a financial hardship. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I love Disney. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 yeah, Kirk, Kirk can't say anything. Uh, he's, I'm not saying I'm not. He's bound, I'm not saying that he's bound just by. Like the, I pay Disney is what I'm getting at. I pay Disney yearly <laughs> for multiple things. Yeah, I mean, I agree with I agree with you. I, I I mean, that's one thing, and then another thing, a separate thing is like, it just doesn't sound worth it to me <laughs> to tr- to go now. It's just like, oh, like this overly complicated process of following all these rules doesn't sa- it just doesn't sound worth it to me it's just like i'll pass like i'll wait and it's like 
I'm not a, even talking. I'm a, not even getting into the territory of like being scared of going and being scared of getting coronavirus. Like I'm not even getting into that territory. Just first and foremost, that sounds not fun and and not worth doing. I mean, yeah, that's going to be the it's going to be a rigmarole for everything, though. Yeah, I use the word rigmarole. Yeah, but I mean, certain things, the the rigmarole is, it's like necessary. It's like, I got to do this. Yeah. I don't know what, I thought Tyler was going to, was drawing some kind of like political cartoon. <laughs> some sort of, on the yeah, I was like, some sort of plan I was, I to was, take I was over. Uh, I was, uh, hold on a minute, one second, one second. Oh no. I was trying to come up with like a little... Uh, all work and no play, but I can't figure out one for Disney. Mm. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, in some more positive news, or maybe not, if you're one of those people that just thinks that remakes are bad no matter what. Um, remake a remake of "Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead" is in the works. <laughs> it's just so funny. Uh, "Don't Tell the Mom the Babysitter's Dead" starred. Christina Applegate as Sue Ellen Crandall, a 17-year-old who takes on the role of the head of the house for her siblings when the babysitter her mother hired dies suddenly in her sleep. The 1991 dark comedy wasn't exactly a big success upon release, but it eventually developed something of a cult following when it was rediscovered on TV and VHS. Deadline has now reported that a remake of the film is in the works from Treehouse Pictures, who are looking to transform the film into a present-day retelling centered on a black family. Um... Don't Tell the Mom the Babysitter's Dead is an iconic cult classic, said Treehouse President Justin Nappy in a statement. We look forward to bringing audiences a new interpretation that is as funny and outright outrageous as the original, but also smart and connected to the world today. Executive producer Michael Phillips, who also served the same role on the original film, added, I'm amazed at how many people can quote dialogue from the original film, and I think this team has a fresh and modern approach to the story that will resonate in a brand new way. The remake of Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead is slated to be written by Chuck Hayward and Billy Woodruff uh, is set to direct. I know I've seen... Uh, wait. Uh, wait. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Uh, yeah, that's it. Uh, yeah, so they're, they're, they're remaking Don't Tell Mom the, the Babysitter's Dead. Um, it's shocking to me. I mean, like, like, like you said, it wasn't a hugely successful movie. I saw it in the movie theater. When I was like 20 and I was like, oh, yeah, this is good. But have since forgotten about it. So that's why I, I just find it funny that it's it's coming back. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I liked Don't Tell, tell, Don't tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead a lot. Um, but um, and, I, and I guess, you know, it's being remade to capitalize off of the nostalgia around its cult status that it sort of ended up finding. But it's funny to me because, you know, that movie is a product of a time during a time period when there was a, there was an there was an ability within the Hollywood system for like very strange high concept comedies to be made mm -hmm. like movies from that time period in like the the mid to late 80s and early 90s don't tell mom the babysitter's dead Adventures in Babysitting. Um, That's a great movie. Like Love, Love Potion Number Nine. Oh. Uh, <laughs> like these really weird high concept comedies that ba are based around this like strange premise. Like <clears throat> these are not four quadrant premises. They're not like they're not like really 
uh, marketable premises. They're like strange stories. Like, oh, like this guy goes to a, a, a witch and she makes him a potion that can turn that, that can make his like this girl fall in love with him. But he accidentally uses it on the wrong person. And then he ends up having all these people in love with him and chasing him around. And then like a babysitter like takes a bunch of kids into like downtown Chicago and uh, or maybe it was New York. I forget. I forget which city don't tell or uh, adventures babysitting is takes place in Chicago. Uh, Chicago. Uh, OK, I was right the first time. And, and it's like them just dealing with like being in this like bad part of town like these and like oh a babysitter dies and then the kids have to like support themselves while their parents are on this extended trip like these are strange premises and there was this just weird time in the in like the late 80s and early 90s where like these strange high concept comedies were could be made and there was some market for them but movies like that aren't made anymore like you can't make a movie and you can't make a comedy unless it has this like really marketable four quadrant premise so it's funny to me that a movie like this is being remade whenever an original concept like this could never be made now like if this was an original idea nobody would touch it with yeah. a five million foot pole it's so fascinating to me the way that pop culture collapses in on itself yeah. like that and the way that the way that this legacy of context can get something made in a certain way. Real, I'll, I'll say strange. this, because um, I recognize the name of the director, Billy Woodruff. He was a big R&B video director from the, like, the mid nineties. The dude's like IMDB page is just filled with hit after hit after tasty fucking hit of mid nineties to late nineties R&B videos. Number one All song of Tony Braxton, song. Drew Hill, Ooh. Babyface, Baby. Next, he did next too close. Did Foxy Brown, Seven O Two, Britney Spears, Jessica Simpson, Shantae Moore, Lucy Pearl, Nelly. He did Nelly Hot in here. So Kirk is immediately hyped for this. Oh man, I was. I'm. I'm on board. Listen, when this comes into the movie theater, I'm going in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll, I'd be interested to see how this turns out because it, it is. A, yeah. it's a very dark concept like you don't see it was a dark comedy you don't see movies like this anymore that are just like oh this old lady passes away in her sleep goofy comedy yeah exactly <laughs> wacky wacky um so uh it's been announced that scott derrickson is set to direct a labyrinth sequel uh despite losing out on the doctor strange 2 gig director scott derrickson has found a most worthy replacement According to Deadline, the filmmaker has been hired by TriStar Pictures to helm the long-awaited sequel to Jim Henson's Labyrinth. Uh, Maggie Levin, the scribe of the of Into the Dark and My Valentine for Hulu, is writing the screenplay. Um, released in the summer of 1986, Labyrinth was a dark fairy tale about a young girl, played by Jennifer Connelly, in her prime... No, that's not her prime. That was like the beginning of her career. What am I talking about? Yeah. Um, that's, that's not who right. Who must rescue... Uh, in. Jennifer Connelly in her prime. Uh, I'll, 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 I'll just let me just. I'm just gonna pull something up for you guys. Uh, I mean, Jennifer Connelly's great. Uh, and I only, <laughs> I only pull this up because my wife is not here. <laughs> 
This is going to be naughty. Um, the anticipation, Andrew. Oh no! Oh, there it is. Career opportunities. Yep. I know this movie. <laughs> oh God, this fucking movie. Dermot Mulroney. Yep. Who is that? In Dermot the background, Mulroney. Dermot Mulroney. Not that guy. The girl. Jennifer Connelly. Jennifer Connelly. Yeah, thank you. And then Frank Wally eating a corn dog. <laughs> I don't know who that guy is. A poor man's Anthony Michael Hall. <laughs> yeah. Oh, this fucking movie. Her face looks so young. It's like weird. Yeah. It's very like she looks so old now. Like once she what? God damn it, Tyler. <laughs> Jesus she 30, Christ. She started looking 50. But like until then, she looked like she was a 19 year old constantly. By the way, Career Opportunities produced by John Hughes and written by John Hughes. Yep. Oh, yeah. This definitely looks like a romance. Just a real cutesy type. And then there's Dermot Mulroney just creeping out. Wow, all targets look the same, even yeah. back then. Yeah, it's just yeah. the same thing. Legit. What is going on in this scene? Is he going to fuck the horse? <laughs> <laughs> Ugh. Early nineties. What is he from? Frank Wally. He was in Swimming with Sharks. He was in Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction. That's what it is. He got. He was the. He was the kid that got shot. The, yeah, the the burger one. The burger guy. Yeah. I can't believe we're still watching this. Now that's Jennifer Connelly in her prime. <laughs> that's Jennifer Connelly in her prime. I don't think you've seen uh, Rec Room for a Dream, my friend. <laughs> oh, she's great in that. Um. Uh, so anyway, uh, where am I? Uh, yeah, so <laughs> starring that girl, um, uh, uh, where, where am I? How did I lose my place? What is going on? Starring uh, who must rescue her baby brother from the clutches of Jareth, the dreaded goblin king, played by David Bowie. Bowie, Bowie, Bowie. Uh, uh, like The Dark Crystal four years prior, the film written by Terry Jones, R.I.P., and produced by George Lucas, uh, not R.I.P., uh, was another great <laughs> showcase for Henson's wizardry with practical puppets. In addition, it offered the chance to introduce some music into the story by utilizing Bowie's star power and talent. The title refers to a winding maze the main character must navigate in order to reach her goal. Uh... Henson's children, Lisa and Brian, are executive producing the latest sequel effort on behalf of the Jim Henson Company. Derrickson is also attached as an executive producer alongside his usual writing partner, C. Robert Cargill. Or Cargill. Uh, and yeah, uh, um, Scott Derrickson, he, you know, he, he directed the first Doctor Strange movie, and then famously he dropped out of the second one due to creative differences and was replaced by Ted Raimi, which I'm super excited about. But he also, he's a horror director, and he directed, I think he directed Sinister. You Ted Raimi? I'm sorry, Sam Raimi? Sam Raimi, yeah. Oh, you said Ted Raimi. I did I say, like, I did I say Ted Raimi? You did yeah, say Ted Raimi. Oh, Ted Raimi's his brother. Oh, okay, gotcha. He's an actor. I don't <laughs> oh, know. Oh, I, I know who you're talking about. I don't know about. why yeah, I said yeah. Ted Raimi, but yeah, that, that's a real <laughs> Deep guy. Cut. It's, his, it's his brother. Um, Sorry. but yeah, he, uh, Scott Derek Derrickson, I think he directed Sinister. Um, <gasps> I love Sinister. Uh, he's a, yeah, he's a horror director and he directed Sinister. Yes, he did. Cool. Um, so yeah, Dr. Strange was like his big 
breakout like huge movie. He uh, he directed. He's let's see. He's directed a straight to DVD or straight to video Hellraiser movie. He directed the Last Exorcism of Emily Rose. He directed the remake of The Day the Earth Stood Still with Keanu Reeves. Wow. Sinister, Deliver Us from Evil, Doctor Strange. Yeah, and then now he's going to be directing the Labyrinth sequel. Um, so Go ahead, Tyler. So this this isn't in the... I noticed that this isn't in the uh, I can't go for that section. Or can you go for that? I mean, because it's, it's a real confirmed thing. Oh, fuck. Okay, gotcha. Uh, I still want to say I can't go for that. Oh yeah, <laughs> okay. I don't want to fucking remake of or I it's mean a sequel. Uh, add on to that. Who cares? It's not gonna be good. <laughs> What's it gonna be about? Like, really, the baby ha- grows up. It's gonna be about the labyrinth. It's gonna be about the labyrinth. Listen, full disclosure. Billy full disclosure Eilish is the daughter oh, of the Goblin I'm King. In. Yep, and <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I'm not. I'm and not, John Mayer good, reprises <laughs> David Bowie's role. I'm not super excited about it either. Full disclosure, I keep confusing Labyrinth with Neverending Story. Full disclosure, I hate you a little more. <laughs> I continually um, confuse those two. If you want to be, if you want an easy reminder, one has a creepy hand hole, which is the Labyrinth, and one has a completely childhood scarring scene where a horse gets pulled into quicksand or mud. I mean, if you want, if you if you want a good helpful reminder, one of them has David Bowie in it. And the other one, and the other one has a giant white dragon. All I know is Never Ending Story has the better theme song because it's from the guy who's the lead singer of Kaja Guru. Yeah. Story, uh, Never Ending Story. Yeah, but the music in Labyrinth is great as well. Don't make me cry right now. <laughs> I heard that. <laughs> they heard that. <laughs> Uh, uh, Heart wrenching. So recently, uh, Dr. Dre says that social media ruined the mystery of artists. Social media <laughs> can be a gift and a curse. I would argue maybe more a curse than a gift. Uh, many people have used apps like Instagram and Twitter to gain profit for their businesses, while others just like to share parts of their personal lives with the world. Dr. Dre believes that social media has caused artists to lose their fascinating aura of mystery. Um, in an interview with British GQ, the Still Dre MC and uh, and Jimmy Lovine Lo- Lo- uh, explained how Jimmy uh, Ovine. Oh, Ovine. I, this, th- yeah, th- that's why. That's why I was confused because I didn't think that was his actual name. But there's like an yeah. There's an L on it, like a typo or something. That's that's um, no, that's capital I. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> so the I is there, but yeah. it's, but it's pronounced Ovine. Yeah. Okay, I get. Okay, understood. Um, explain how much social media has made artists too accessible. I probably would have hated social media when I was coming up, Drake said, or Drake, Drake said, <laughs> You're uh, drunk. 15 minute mark of the video. There's a certain mystique that gets destroyed. I like the mystique. I like waiting. I don't need anybody to know where I am every minute of what I'm doing or what I'm about to do. There's a certain mystique that came along with music that was entertaining to wait to see what was about to happen. I don't know the impact of Instagram. It's not mutual. Um, if Michael Jackson had Instagram, uh, would he have ended up healthier? Who knows? I think what's happened is great, in quotes, uh, was never behind fame as much as it is now. Fame is what the currency is. Likes or whatever the, that stuff is. 
So Fade, mm. if you happen to be great, musicians up till recently, that's why people put music out every day. That's marketing. That's that's a confusing <laughs> way. Basically what he's saying is greatness used to be the more important thing, but now fame is the more important thing. Okay, boomer. <laughs> yeah, I was like, <laughs> legitimately all, all I could think, like, even if it wasn't, like, even if it's a joke for uh, Kirk, it's not. It's it's just a boomer thought. It's like, really what this is, I think, is is just like, He's a rapper and he came from a time when you had to really bolster your uh, your back, your uh, background. And it's like, it's hard to say that I was shooting motherfuckers last weekend when your Instagram shows you eating crudite in Spain. It's hard. <laughs> <laughs> I I think he's just worried. I think he's worried. Down. He's worried about this because they forgot about Dre. No! Oh, I thought you were wearing pants. What if Kirk rolled deck, but he forgot that he's completely nude from the waist down? <laughs> <laughs> That's I. I was like, whoa! First of all, fantastic gams. Second, <laughs> oh, did it look like I was? Everybody uh, forgot about Dre. I won't forget about those though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It does it does feel a little like just old man yells at cloud <laughs> yeah I've done uh, that. i think but talking about a second thing like would michael jackson have been healthier regardless of if you believe he did anything whatever you believe there his instagram would be cancelable so cancelable he would be like instagram living uh sleepovers with the yeah. neighborhood kids oh. done jesus yeah done 100 <laughs> percent um <laughs> Yeah, and, and also it's it's kind of it's kind of just bullshit because like I mean I'm not a I'm not a fan of her. Uh I don't like her music and I've like worked with her. I mean I've worked at a company that worked with her and she was just real strange and I just got a weird vibe from her. But there's this musician I'm I'm sure you might be aware of her. I doubt you know who she is, Kirk. Uh but maybe Tyler knows, but this musician called named Poppy and she's like a muse I, I don't even want to get into what poppy is it would be it would literally be like an hours of conversation but she's like a musician wait the youtube star yeah she's a musician she's a she's a she's a singer who has this whole weird persona and she yeah. does like these weird videos and there's like this whole mythology to her and there's this story this fictional story and like she releases these cryptic videos and there's this whole thing about her she's a religious leader is what her wikipedia says yeah i mean that there's a fake it's like a fake cult that she has um but ultimately she's a musician she just she's a she's a musician she has music but she has this huge youtube channel she releases these weird videos she has a team of people who create this story around her existence where she's like a robot and like we did we did stuff with her at super deluxe um but um like she successfully uses uses social media to have a mysterious mystique about her like oh, yeah. like like she she's able to have the mystique specifically by utilizing social media as a tool so it's doable sure totally doable you don't have to upload pictures of yourself eating crudita. <laughs> That's what I want. Um. Uh. So. Um. 
Scott Pilgrim in the versus the World is returning to theaters for the 10th anniversary. Uh, director hey. Director Edgar Wright has revealed that he plans to re-release. I think I think Kirk is like on a poppy wormhole now. I did. It got a little <laughs> poppy wormhole. I was like, who is this person? She's fascinating. But I, I did 100%. But I'm back. Scott Pilgrim. Love it. Great, uh, great movie. Director Scott Pilgrim. Love director it. Edgar Wright has revealed that he plans to re-release his beloved Scott Pilgrim vs. the World in theaters for its 10th anniversary. The action comedy was... Yeah, release the right cut. Yeah, release, <laughs> release the... Fucking uh, release the hype Williams cut. Uh, the action comedy was released in 2010 and was met with praise from audiences and critics alike, uh, scoring an 84% with the former and an 82% with the latter on Rotten Tomatoes. Though the film was met with such a positive reception, it unfortunately became a box office bomb, only grossing 47 million worldwide against a budget of 60 million. However, in the years following its release, it has become a cult favorite, developing a passionate fan base. Um, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World was based on the series of graphic novels of the same name. Uh, that's not true. They're not from the same name. Uh, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World was the third volume? Or maybe it was the second volume. Anyway, the, bo the book series is just called Scott Pilgrim. And each book had a different name. And one of them was called so Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Um by Canadian author Brian Lee O'Malley. The story follows a part-time musician and slacker named Scott Pilgrim, who, after falling in love with an American <laughs> delivery girl named Ramona Flowers, learns he must defeat her seven evil exes in order to be with her. The film adaptation was directed by Wright and starred Michael Sarah, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Kieran Culkin, Anna Kendrick, Allison Pill, Aubrey Plaza, Johnny Simmons, Chris Evans, Brie Larson, and Jason Schwartzman. Uh, the film remains a fan favorite in Wright's filmography, which includes the likes of Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, The World's End, and Baby Driver. Um, yeah, so I love Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. It's one of my favorite movies movie. of all time. Um, whenever the Blu-ray was released of it back in the day, uh, it, it boasted 17 hours worth of bonus content, and I sat and watched all of it in one sitting, which included five different commentaries. Um, and uh, yeah, I love the movie. Uh, I saw I saw it in theaters twelve times. Uh, it's the movie that I've seen the most in theaters, and uh, wow. you know to be fair, wow. most of those were at a second run theater, so it's not like I was paying fifteen dollars every time. I I saw it in a regular theater four times, paying full price, and then I saw it an additional, uh, uh, what is that eight times? Eight, yeah, uh, in a second run theater where I paid like a dollar fifty. Wow! Wow! Uh, so but you won't see it until you won't, if it, like there's no there's no time for when it comes out. Does it say when it comes out? Uh, they're they're trying to put it back out. It was supposed to, it was supposed to come out um, several months ago during the anniversary of the actual release in theaters, but obviously that didn't happen. Yeah. Um. But they're trying to still squeeze it in this year. Oh, sometime. Right. But you won't go. Maybe, maybe, maybe. This, really, maybe this is what hypocrite. This might, this might hypocrite. No, I probably won't. I probably won't. Right. Yeah, no. Honestly. Um. Yeah, I love, I love Scott Pilgrim. It also kind of makes me depressed that I consider it nostalgia. Um, I, ten years. I thought it was like fifteen years or something. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I more consider it nostalgia because it's like. It in and of itself is nostalgic. It 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 plays with the iconography of. 
classic video games from the 90s and things like that. Um, Schoolhouse Rock is coming to Disney+. Plus. Yeah, boy. Get ready to introduce uh. your kids to the famous ditty about a bill who's just sitting on Capitol Hill because Schoolhouse Rock is coming to Disney Plus next month. The beloved musical series from the 70s that's been teaching kids about grammar, civics, and more for decades will be available for younger generations to watch. Season one of Schoolhouse Rock will make its debut on Disney's streaming service on Friday, June 19th. Each episode is just a few minutes long and includes a kid-friendly song designed to teach kids a new concept in subjects like math and grammar. Um, Schoolhouse Rock has tackled the importance of use using conjunctions and sentences with the, with the song Conjunction Junction and has also taught kids how bills become laws with the iconic bop, I'm Just a Bill. While season one's Disney Plus debut date has been confirmed, it's not clear when the other six seasons of Schoolhouse Rock will be available on uh, to stream. Uh, I'll, I'll be watching they, this 100%. Yeah, but they did. They changed the I'm Just a Bill song. It's it's I'm just a bill that Disney will kill. They'll make our decisions for us soon. See, it's different. Yeah. All right. Not everyone's a hit. <laughs> I mean, once again, Kirk can't comment. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he is I'm unable, here for it. He is unable to comment. Uh, yeah. All I can say is verb. That's what's happening. Yep. Yeah, my favorite. Yeah, I, I'll definitely watch these with my son. Oh yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, hundred percent. Especially because it'll um, it'll get it'll get my wife off my back from. She's always bugging me about like, she's always hassling me about not watching <laughs> educational things with him. She's like, he should be wa- he should be watching Sesame Street, not uh, Scooby Doo, which I love. I love Sesame Street as well, but you know. Love me some. Scooby-Doo. I love how you're like my old lady's been hassling me. <laughs> Um. Uh, and one last quick story before we take a break. Not really a whole lot to talk about here, but I just wanted to throw it in. Um, so uh, for those of you who've been hankering for years for some more Silent Hill, uh, since there hasn't been an entry in the series for quite a long time, uh, especially on the heels of the uh, the canceled um, Hideo Kojima and uh, Guillermo del Toro helmed. Uh, Silent Hills reboot game that never came to fruition. Um, the uh, Silent Hills iconic monster pyramid head is coming to Dead by Daylight, the four v one, four versus one asymmetrical multiplayer horror, horror game from Behavioral Be- Behavior Interactive, alongside other content inspired by Konami's psychological horror franchise. Pyramid Head, uh, new survivor. Uh, Cheryl Mason and the Midwich Elementary School map are live now on Dead by Daylight's public test build on Steam and will be released widely on PC and console on June 16th. Um, Behavior Interactive unveiled Dead by Daylight, Silent Hill, a new chapter of paid DLC for the horror game on Tuesday during a live stream celebrating the game's fourth year of content. During that stream, the developer also announced cross-play support and a major graphics overhaul for Dead by Daylight. Dead by Daylight is like a is like a four-player survival game where basically one character is a murderer and the other three characters are victims, and they just the murderer is just trying to kill them in a map, and you're just trying. Like the, the the point is to try to get away from the murderer. Um, oh. There's another game like this, uh, a Friday the Thirteenth version where one character is Jason and then the other characters are campers. And it's a survival game where you're just trying to escape from the murderer. 
and uh, they're they they do a lot of paid DLC. They had they had like a silent. Uh, they had a a um, Stranger Things one where the murderer could be the demigorgon and the other players could be the kids. Um, and now they're doing a Silent Hill one, and it's notable because this you know there's a huge fan base for Silent Hill, but they haven't made any new Silent Hill games in many many years. And if you don't, if you want to know what what Pyramid Head looks like, um, this is Pyramid. What head. a dumb dumb! He's got a pyramid on his head. I got a pyramid on my head. Don't call me. Oh wait, that's his name. Uh, so yeah. He's got good arms though. Get excited for that if you like Silent Hill and you played Dead by Daylight. Um, good arms. Yeah, he's got great arms. But do you think it was made by aliens, his head? Yes, 100%. Um, yeah, so uh, on that note, we're going to take a quick break, and we come back, we're going to do our regular segment. Can you go for that? After these messages, we'll be right back. And we're back. And now, it's time for our regular segment, where we talk about rumored and unsubstantiated nostalgic stories and give our opinions about whether we think it's a good idea or not. That segment is called... Can you go for that? Oh, 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 can you, oh, can you go for that? Oh, oh, can you, can you go for that? This is the remix. Can you go for that? Can you go for that? <laughs> wasn't wasn't quite as good as last week's impromptu remix where it just kind of happened the or, the organic yeah, yeah I, got, I got too in my head about it yeah you ended strong yeah um speaking of remixes before we get too into it uh something we can all go for kirk when are you putting out some new jams some oh new, what are you putting out some I, new jams man <laughs> <laughs> we need I, to slap the bass a little, around a little bit. i got a couple uh, that I made early on in the quarantine. I'll send you. I'll send you. Okay, perfect. They're hot, white hot. And secondly, when is Andrew going to put out his uh, much-awaited uh, hit single to or uh, follow-up to uh, Santa Fe or what is it called? <laughs> yeah, Santa Fe. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. When I find time, that that took me forever. It was a lot of late nights. It's hard to write, write and produce a song when you have two kids. Ooh, could I could I do a cover of Santa Fe for the for the musical segment? Yes, that nostalgic God. song. Nostalgic song from a couple of weeks ago. <clears throat> Listen, I feel like I've been listening to it my entire life. It's a part of me. Now. <laughs> um. So first story, right. <laughs> uh, it is rumored that uh, uh, Breaking Bad's Giancarlo Esposito. Might be in talks to play Professor X in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <clears throat> when it comes to comic book movies, yes. it seems like there is a new rumor daily, from the wishful to the ludicrous. You can't escape all the gossip online. Sometimes, though, there are rumors you hope aren't made up, such as the latest one that Breaking Bad's Giancarlo Esposito, who played Gus Fring in Breaking Bad, is in talks to play Charles Xavier in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You, you, just for. Look, looking at it, you titled Gossip Girls. Did you? Is he in that show? No, that's no. This is copied and pasted from some article, and I don't know what. Oh, I don't God. know why that says yeah. that. 
I think that's it's, I think, copy, I think it's them like trying to make some dumb pun. Yeah, that's that's poor copy. Yeah, poor copy. Yeah, uh, you I have to let that slide. No, I'd send it back. I can go for that because I have had stock in Giancarlo Esposito since 1988 when I saw him in school days. I've loved oh. him forever. Yeah, he's great. He's great. Yeah. So it's perfect. It's fit. It fits. He's amazing. Make it so. That's my take. Uh, yeah, I I can go for that. I'm tired of and as much as I always you love uh, uh, John Luke Picard. <laughs> you just Patrick like, Stewart. <laughs> Patrick Stewart. It's like they're supposed to represent like the mutants are supposed to represent like a. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to say I, how. How you're you're saying that the the, yeah. the, the metaphor of X Men is that it's like gay people and like black people, but, exactly. But like, they're all oh, yeah, but they're all but they're all white. Like exactly, and and not only that, but uh, Xavier has up until now been a white savior, and I'm just like, we're all done with that. Let's let's move on. Let's make it a little <laughs> more complex. Yeah, the X Men was was created. Uh, the intention of the X Men at the time was was to tell a story about uh, minorities facing uh, prejudice, but they also had to contend with the, you know, social um, standards of the time that there just wasn't, there weren't, there just weren't comic books about with like black people or gay people in them, or especially not as like the stars. So they essentially told a they essentially told a uh, story about minority oppression, but instead of having black or LGBTQ or whatever people in right. as the characters facing the oppression, they used mutant powers as a metaphor for that. And so they could kind of have their cake and eat it, too, of telling this oppression story. But all the characters are white and straight. Yep. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I... <laughs> I, I I'm I I'm really apprehensive about saying my thing because I mean basically I can't I can't go for that. Um, mm, well, and, sorry that you suck. And uh, <coughs> is it because he's not bald? No, it's. Uh, it, I mean, James McAvoy wasn't isn't bald either, but um, right, true. Yeah, I I lo- I, I I think that John Collard Esposito is great, and I also am not one of those people that's like. He's like Professor Xavier's white. Um, I would be I would be perfectly fine with Professor Xavier being a black man or a Hispanic man or whatever. Uh, I just don't I just don't think he's right for it. I don't think he has the right uh, gravitas. Yeah, I mean that, that he doesn't have the right command of leadership. Um, what? Yeah, I, I just I don't see. He's it. Gus. He leads everything in in uh, Breaking Bad. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't. That that's the thing. I don't. I don't. I don't feel that about Gus. I feel like Gus's whole thing was that he he led from behind. He he. I, I think we even talked about this on a, on a previous episode. Um, see, that's I, I. Gus's whole thing was that he was a very demure, very soft spoken, very meek person who, like, in his soft spoken meekness could cut you to the bone in in strategic places with with just outbursts of cruelty none none of that none of his character in that show was about like leadership it was about it was about striking fear into people in like random un uh unexpected moments uh despite being a very soft spoken 
very kind of like passive person. I would I I would have to say that's the exact same thing that made me think he would be perfect for it because as much as like I'm sure there's comic the comic books are more pure but I grew up on watching X-Men uh, <coughs> cartoons and that's who Professor Xavier was. He wasn't on the front lines. He was cool, level-headed, making the decisions back at Cerebro uh, or in his hover chair a little farther away from the action making the decisions. So I think he's the perfect character for it. And, and instead of just that that cruelty that he's able to point and hit somebody with, he's going to be doing it with knowledge and telekinetic powers. And in school days, he was the leader of the evil fraternity and showed leadership skills. Yeah, once again, evil. Is but it doesn't matter. It's evil. He showed leadership skills. We're not talking whether they're good or bad. You can be good or bad and still have good leadership skills. But there's a difference between an evil leader and a good leader. Evil leader usually leads by fear, and a good leader leads by He did lead by fear. You haven't seen the movie. He didn't lead by fear. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't I just I just don't see it. Um right. honestly, I he doesn't have the right look. I, I don't even want to get into speculations of who I want to want to play it, but yeah, I don't know. I just I just it's not it's not working for me. Um, and, uh, this, uh, last story for, for, can you go for that? So, uh, Harley Keener will reportedly act as the MCU's new Iron Man. Uh, and if that doesn't make any sense to you, I will explain. Yeah, it doesn't, I don't um, understand this. A lot of people that don't have an encyclopedic knowledge of the Marvel Cinematic Universe's history were left wondering who that random dude was that showed up at Tony Stark's funeral in Avengers Endgame. Spoiler alert. Um, alongside the overwhelming majority of the franchise's most famous faces. However, for those in the know, the return of Ty Simpkins' high, uh, Carly Keener was a fitting nod to how many lives Tony affected during his time as Iron Man. As Iron Man. In Iron Man 3, uh, Tony Stark crash lands in this town, and his suit is completely destroyed, and he's on the run, um, and he... Uh, he I haven't seen it in a, in a couple of years. I forget if he breaks into this person's house or if they find him and bring him back to his house. But he he's in the snow and uh, he hardly finds okay, him. Okay, he the finds snow. him. So, so uh, he, he, yeah. he's found by this kid uh, who's played by Ty Simpkins, uh, who's just a kid actor. He was also in the Jurassic World movies, and he uh, brings him back to his house and lets him like hide out in his garage. And he finds out that this kid is like an amateur inventor. Like he's built these machines and they have like a little bit of a bonding moment in the movie for a little bit of the movie um, while he's hiding out in this town. And uh, the kid's like this little, he's kind of like a whip smart little like kid who is, you know, wise beyond his years or whatever, precocious and, and good at building things. And then he leaves and uh, the whole thing was kind of like weirdly this moment that happens in the movie that seems like it's setting something up like, oh, this this mm -hmm. kid is introduced and he's like the protege and then kind of nothing ever happened with him. And he wasn't back into the Marvel movies until that final scene in Avengers Endgame where he was at Tony Stark's funeral. Um, so that's that's who he is. Um, if Marvel Studios hadn't struck the Spider-Man deal with Sony then there's every chance that Harley could have ended up becoming Tony's on-screen protege and may have even become Marvel's version of Iron Lad. 
After all, it seems strange for something as meticulously planned and advanced as the MCU to give such a major supporting role to a character like Harley, with virtually all of his scenes happening alongside Robert Downey Jr. and then do nothing with him after Iron, 3, Iron Man 3 concluded. Um, however, we've now heard from sources that Harley is being set up to re for return to the MCU in the future, and it sounds like he'll get a pretty interesting story arc as well. From what we understand, Harley will use all of the technology gifted to him by Tony at the end of Iron Man 3 to build his own homemade suit of armor in an effort to become a superhero and will even start referring to himself as Iron Man, going around saying people, uh, sa saving people where he can. Of course, we know that Tom Holland's Spider-Man will, will take Tony's position in... Uh, that he'll eventually become the biggest, most well-known hero in the world, and will continue to wear iron suits that have complete can, that can uh, that come complete with his own personal AI. But Harley will act more as Iron Man, given that he will be donning a similar suit of armor and be using the same name. Uh, Simpkins has already admitted that he'd love to make a proper return to the the fold, and the idea of seeing Harley spurt spurred on by Tony's death to build a suit in his garage and take it upon himself to try and inherit the mantle of Iron Man would definitely make for a great story from one of the, for one of the MCU's lesser known names. Uh, when exactly this will happen, we can't say yet, but we're told that the plan right now is for him to return at some point in phase five. Good boy. Wow. I, uh, go ahead, Tyler. Formulate. I, I, I have like a little, I've watched like YouTube videos on, um, Iron Man and like the Marvel stuff just to see if I was interested in buying comic for comics for it. Uh, the YouTube stuff suffices. I don't need to buy comics. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Okay. Uh, but this is awesome because this kind of, if, if they are setting him up as like an Iron Man replacement or like an <laughs> Iron Lad, uh, it could be like an easy way into getting Kong the Cankerer. Wait, Kang the Conqueror. What? <laughs> what? Kang the Conqueror. <laughs> he gives. He goes around giving people canker sores. It's terrible. Kong the oh Conqueror sounds like a a dude who just goes around like secretly giving people venereal diseases as revenge. Oh, God. Uh, so yeah, that guy. That guy is probably going to be introduced as the next villain. Uh, in the overarching storyline of the Marvel Universe, which would be really cool. So I see like that would be a fun connection, and I'm really excited to see how they do that through the movies. So I can go for that, long story short. I can go for that, but I don't really care. Gonna <laughs> pull I, a Shelby on us? <laughs> I mean... Like, this is going to, if it happens, it happens in Phase 5 because they need a new Iron Man because Robert Downey Jr. is done. Sure, that sounds good. Do that. Because unless you're going to never have Iron Man back, then yeah, you got to have someone, you know, like the old uh, uh, Brady Bunch thing. Greg Brady, he fit the suit. That's why it's Johnny uh, Johnny Bravo. Yep. I, that's, the guy fits the suit. That you you reached down deep for that. <laughs> yeah, I went way deep. I mean, you could you could have said like you could have said like Dick York stepped out, so Dick Sargent had to replace him. You could you you could have said Mr. That's Ro deep too. You should have said Mr. Roper had to leave, so then Mr. Furley had to come in. I went. I went. It fits the suit. So sure, nice. if you fit the suit, be Iron Man. Godspeed. Uh, oh, by the way, I'm gonna. Oh no! Pull this up. What's happening? Where did I put my phone at? I'm gonna show you guys this real quick. 
Uh, I don't know what's happening. <coughs> I just got to show this. Speaking of which, real really fast. Uh, I don't know if it comes across in the picture because it wouldn't stand still. But uh, I dressed Ephraim. What the hell? Why did it switch? <laughs> Don't swipe left, don't swipe right. I dressed Ephraim like Mr. Furley the other day. <laughs> I don't, what is this reference to? Oh, God damn you, Tyler. It's Three's Company. Oh, sorry. That's no. genius. Oh, yeah, the, the, okay, yeah, I got you. The landlord. Yeah, the, the, land, the, the landlord played by Don Knotts, who uh, always dressed in a, like, garish Hawaiian shirt with an ascot. That's looks genius. Like, uh, Arnold Palmer. You know that reference, but not Mr. Furley? My dad liked golf. Uh, uh, did you teach him how to say things that are oddly homophobic, yeah, but really just gonna, fly under the radar? Yes, I, was, yes. <laughs> I, I, I taught him how to go, do you mean your... Um, <laughs> Good God. Yeah. Love that show. Highly... Highly problematic, highly problematic these days. and dated premise that yes, <laughs> yeah, uh, right. yeah. So anyway, uh, yeah. I, okay, so wait, clear this up for me. Was it ever implied that they had threesomes? No, not threesomes, but that they had sex, but not threesomes. Okay. Yeah, God, just. I mean, does, I mean, his his company. friend Larry would always like be like, "Oh, what are you guys doing in here?" Kind of stuff. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Um. Yeah, so so uh, yeah, I can definitely go for that. Uh, I, I have I have a really controversial thing, a really controversial opinion. In that, um, Iron Man three is my favorite Marvel movie. And, oh, and a lot of people the Mandarin one. Yeah, a lot of people dislike it because I mean, because it, it, you have you have a couple people. You have like you have people who hate it because. Uh, well, no, I mean, I guess I guess in general you have the, the people who hate it are because they think that it wasn't accurate to any of the comic stuff. And they really hate that they turn the Mandarin into this like joke character that's like a fake actor. Um, mm-hmm. And from my perspective, uh, number one, I think that movies are a different medium than comics. And I've never believed that the movies needed to follow the comics in any kind of strict way because it's just a different thing i've never cared about that um if it was like so wildly different that it completely just like didn't even need to like if if they put out a iron man movie that was so different and changed that it wasn't even iron man anymore then that obviously that'd be stupid but like changes like that like i've never cared about that i think they're two different mediums and i don't give a shit if they change things all i care about is is the movie good that's all i care about um number two uh, the Mandarin is a racist character. Yeah, uh, yes. That, like, wh- wh- people are trying to argue for them paying respect and properly adapting a racist, like, Asian stereotype. Like, that's what people wanted to happen. Um, and number three, uh, kind of going back to my original point, uh... I just love the movie. I don't even I don't care about where it fits into uh, the comics or where it fits into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I love Shane Black. He's my favorite He's screenwriter, great. and I love the movie in and of itself. It's a it's a buddy cop superhero movie, and I love it. I don't care about any of that bullshit. 
Um, and uh, and I don't care that they had a that, that he had the gag of the misdirect that the Mandarin was actually just a fake actor because they are they already they already just they already justified that they already explained that he wasn't the real Mandarin he was just a different guy who was pretending to be the Mandarin and the Mandarin is a real guy so get over it they've already explained that your, your character is safe um so I love it's my favorite Marvel movie and I love that aspect of it I love the I love the like that it, the movie follows the hero's journey very effectively and that is like the hero lost segment where he gets he, you know he's 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 outcast from his society and he's rejected and he's on the run and he you know hides out in this little town and he's keeping a low profile and yeah, he hangs out with this kid right. i, I love i love that part of the movie and i love the dynamic that he has with ty simpkins character i almost love it more than i the, his dynamic with with tom holland um and I definitely would love them to see them more done with that character. So I'm totally here for it. I, I can totally go for it. Well, on that thing, they they're bringing they're bringing Robert Downey Jr. back, and nobody knows just how they're doing it yet. And I would love to see instead of or, or before the time where he uh, met Peter and became like a father figure to him, he came back to the shop that he left Harley. And was teaching him certain things about how to build and how to engineer. And that would be a good movie to see the in-between where uh, flashbacks of Harley working with Tony personally in that garage. Yeah. And then him building his own suit at the in, in real time. Yeah. I could go for that. Boom. You're welcome, Disney. <laughs> I could also, I also, as, a, as an added bonus, I can go for that. I can definitely go for Kong the Cankerer. <laughs> oh, I mean, I if you need a, like a silent investor, I'm in. Kong the Cankerer. Okay. Yeah. Two Kong Cankerer. I will get to. I'm, I'm Andrew on your network. Yes. On, oh, on, on Cock. Yeah. Kong, Kong the Cankerer is going to be our flagship series. Kong the Cankerer on Cock. It, it just flows. Yep. Oh man. Um. <laughs> final story before we wrap up. Uh. Not necessarily nostalgic, but it was so funny to me that I just had to add it on here. And it ties into stuff we talk about with, like, reopening and all that stuff. Uh, so, uh, Japanese theme parks will urge guests not to make loud noises on roller coasters when they reopen. Um, you're still allowed to enjoy thrill rides. Just don't be audibly thrilled about it. An association of theme park operators in Japan has outlined a set of recommendations, uh, recommended guidelines for the country's popular amusement amusements upon reopening, and it would seem they'll be much cleaner and quieter than ever before. Among the guidelines proposed by the East Japan and West Japan amusement park associations, operators are being urged to com comply with dozens of expect expected coronavirus prevention me measures already being utilized by parks across the globe, such as operating at reduced capacity, increasing the frequency of cleanings, installing hand-washing stations, and pre-selling tickets to control the flow of guests. Visitors should also be given temperature checks before entering, wear masks at all times, and practice social distancing once inside, the guideline stipulates. But that's not all. The East Japan and West Japan Amusement Park Association would also prefer the country's amusement parks to be a much quieter place to help minimize any droplets emanating from the mouths of entertainers, employees, or guests. To that end, they recommend the patrons patrons and workers be asked to refrain from using a loud voice. Um, in other words, where possible, they even advise the employees refrain from using their voice to communicate with guests. 
as a style, even if you are wearing a mask, you can combine smiles, eyes, gestures, etc. The associations <laughs> advise, according to a translation. Other times, they recommend parks simply print and post signs to get their messages across. Then again, being quiet in the ticketing line is no big deal, but it's likely a lot harder on the roller coasters when guests would be asked to refrain from speaking loudly or making loud noises. Um, the agency France Press further reports that these requests would apply to guests watching any of the park's live entertainment spectacles. Uh, performers would also be aiding in this effort, the outlet reports, by discouraging viewers from being too audibly dazzled by what they see on stage. So they're opening the theme parks. You can go back. It's all opening. <laughs> but when you go there and you get on the roller coaster, you have to remain quiet at all times. Nobody, yeah. nobody can talk to nobody can talk to each other. You have to get information from employees <laughs> through a series of eye and hand gestures, and you can't even laugh at a show that you're watching. <laughs> you can smize. You can smize. Smize. Yep. Just smize. Yeah. Oh my god! Yeah, guys, my, is wonder, a big like, deal. My friend, my friend How thought far? he had invented that as a joke term. Like he, I was talking to him, and he said something about like smiling with his eyes, and then he was like, "Oh, we could, that could be a new thing, smizing." And I was just like, "That's a real thing. Like that's that's, a, a, that's like a real thing in like the beauty in like the fashion industry." Oh yeah, it's in commercial his, auditions. His all mind, that stuff. his mind was blown that this like joke, dumb thing that he thought of, yeah. was a real thing that's taken seriously. I hope this uh, amusement park enforces this law, and if you scream, you get kicked out. If you scream, you get yeah. If you scream, I you get killed. If you talk at all, it's they done. That's what I'm saying. It's like <laughs> it's like in Japan when they say they're gonna urge you. That means like hitting you. Like that's they'll they'll do it. Yeah. Wouldn't it be really? Uh, let me throw, let me hit you with some cops. Okay. An all silent amusement park. Wouldn't that just kind of be <laughs> trippy as fuck? It would. Yeah, I, mean, I, I would I, I love that. Experience just for that experience of just getting the yeah. surreal firsthand experience of that. Yeah, okay. right. So, so hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. Uh, it's been a while since like that whole improv everywhere. <laughs> that whole improv everywhere thing was a hit. We could do a silent roller coaster flash mob. We can get as many people as possible to go on and just not make a sound the entire time. Yeah, I mean that's what I would love that. I think that would be really that's fun. what they're literally enforcing. Yeah. Well, yeah, but that would never happen in America. Like in America, you people yeah, are yeah, dumb yeah, and yeah, wouldn't yeah. do people, that. Anyway. Yeah, people would. Kick it. People wear masks. They're not gonna yeah, shut exactly. up. Yeah, that's that's, I wonder, that's my like, that's my issue with like going like like I've read so many articles and my wife has showed me so many articles about how like oh you know you should go hiking you should go to these places when they open as long as everyone's social distancing like it's fine it's not dangerous the risk is very low. And it's all on paper, like there's studies and data and all this stuff that's like, don't be scared to go hiking or go like to these outdoor places. But in actual reality, when we've gone to these places, like it only works if people are actually doing it, if, our, if people are actually social distancing, right. but they don't. <laughs> like we went, we went hiking and people just walk right up to you. They don't stay six feet apart. That's that's why I don't want to go. Not because I think that 
in the vacuum of doing everything properly, I can still get sick, but I don't want to go because nobody is doing anything properly. Exactly. Nobody's listening to the rules and you can't control that. Like it's you're you're once you've walked out into the world, your fate is like out of your own hands because you can only cr- control your own behavior. Mm. Exactly. People suck. <laughs> um but yeah. Yeah, this just seems I mean other than the fact that I would love to go just once and just experience oh, yeah. Yeah, the surreal nature of this. Other than that, once again, I'll go back to my point from before. It's not worth it. <laughs> it's, it's just not. so much like going out of your way to try to have this thing and like it's like it's like eating it's like it's like sugar-free red vines or like <laughs> you know it's like what is the point just don't mm-hmm. eat it if you don't if you're so obsessed with like being healthy then like eat healthy food don't try to like eat the unhealthy food that you want to eat but with like all of the goodness of it taken out facts yeah absolute facts uh yeah so that's it yeah you guys fuck you for trying to want trying to be trying to want to be better than you were before what (laughs) that's what i got from that conversation (laughs) no i mean no want to be better than you want to be before but like just eat a freaking app eat an apple yeah, don't be fake about yeah. it. Uh, I got that. Okay. Anything else you guys want to say? Nope. Uh, that's it. All right. Well, uh, thanks for listening. Uh, if you if you if you haven't done so already and you like the show, then you know please consider subscribing. Please consider giving us a, a rating and a review on uh, Apple Podcasts. Um, if you have a friend that you think might like the show, then share this with them. If you want to f- keep up to date with uh, more news about the podcast, as well as uh, all the nostalgia content we post on a daily basis, you can follow us on uh, the official Nostalgia Facebook page. Just search Nostalgia on Facebook, and that's us with the blue check mark next to our name. You can join our Facebook group, the official Nostalgia Facebook group, by just searching Nostalgia in Groups. That's us. You can follow us on Instagram at Nostalgia. Um, if you have any uh, questions, comments, concerns, anything that you might want to be read during an episode of the show, you can email us at nostalgicastpod at gmail.com. And uh, stay safe, stay healthy, and thank you for listening.